Hey, Rich Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Uh, truly an honor to be here. I mean, my goodness. I spent most of my youth uh, a part of the youth group at the time, which was Fresh Fire. Yep. And so I know how important um, you guys are. Uh, a lot of the youth that you see um, pastoring now, uh, at the time, they were pa- they're pastoring now. Uh, this isn't a phase. This isn't just something you guys do because you're, I mean, this is, this is where you guys come and you sharpen and iron. You sharpen your tools. You come, you gain a fellowship, unity. Uh, I don't want to spend too long on, on that, but I, I can bet that your pastor already, already said this, that revival reveals things. Did he say, you say that last week? You said it last week. I, I, I knew you did. We, we, this is what we, this is, this is what our pastor says. Revival reveals things. And I want to say that time tells all. You want to know if this is revival? Time's going to tell us. And so I believe what revival is revealing and reach youth is who's in and who's out. Now, I have a hard time with this, right? Like, you're in a series called Revival, but not only are we in a series called Revival, the youth in our in our church in general, Reach Paramount, is experiencing revival. Now, understand this. Like, th- th- this is tough, okay? Just because we're a part of revival, I'm not comfortable saying that everyone experiences revival. Hear this. And I'm going to stick with my notes because we're going to go somewhere. Is one God is using your pastors. Look how far... Look, look, look at the spiritual maturation that has come from your lives. Look at the difference that has come within Reach Youth just from within a year. Look at it. We're, you're different. The pastoral team, the, everything is just different. You guys are going somewhere. Um, look at the leadership, that, that, that the healthiness of the leadership that is here. God is revealing who is, who is in and who is out. Now check this out. How we have... How can we be experiencing revival in our church? How can we have a monthly theme called revival, but yet some people will miss it for a football game? Now listen, now listen. Understand that Jesus came to preach grace and truth, right? That the truth was so hard to hear that he had to explain to people that I come with grace and truth because the truth is going to hurt you. And if you don't think that I'm coming with grace, then it's just going to be, well, I could just say whatever it is that I want to say. But grace and truth, how can we have revival? How can we have a monthly theme of revival that I believe is, is really like, you ever had the little scratch and sniff? Like before you spray something, you could scratch it and sniff it. I mean, we're in revival, but I believe that there's going to be something greater than just the scratch and sniff. Like, I believe, Fabian, there's a lighter right there. Do you mind grabbing it for me? Right behind you. There's a lighter right there. I'm going to explain this real quick so you could. I'm I'm a pictorial person. Check this out. This here, if it works, that that is not a fire. That is a flame. When I take this flame to something, what happens? A fire starts, right? So what happens with revival is like, it doesn't have to be you guys jumping and screaming. It doesn't have to be everyone turning around and and literally forsaking everything. Like, 
That's not revival. You know what revival is? Revival is that you turn from your wicked ways. Revival is that, you know what? I now pursue holiness and I now pursue righteousness. That nothing else matters to me. That no matter what I do in my leisure activity, no matter what I do in my regular time, is that, is that holiness and righteousness is mine to live because I want to please God. First, I'm going to, turn, I'm going to change my mind and then God will change my heart. That's what revival is. So look, this flame... You guide it to where you want to burn. So this is just a flame. But what I want to do is I want to add to it or I want to take it somewhere. Because I want to now make a fire. I can roast a marshmallow with this, but it'll take a long time. Or I could take the marshmallow to a fire and it burns like that. I can do it with the same. But understand that at the beginning stages of revival, that sometimes it looks like this. But what do you do with it though? I want it to get bigger so that way in my spiritual maturation, that way in what God, however God wants to use me, is that, you know what, I'm stronger now. Now I got a little bit more wisdom. Now righteousness and holiness is mine to pursue. So therefore, it doesn't take that long to burn anymore. So where do you want to be? How do you want to grow? You look back, back a year ago, you're here, you're growing. So don't, and, and, and I know I mentioned the homecoming game. I get it. Like it, when I say revival reveals things, people, we're going to see priority. You're going to see that. You're not going to just see it on a Friday night. You're going to see it in the way people live their lives. But can I tell you something? You are no better than them. Because in the midst of revival, you know what happens? Is division in the church happens. Is we think while well, God is doing something here in my life, in my family's life, in my ministry, in the way that I love the Lord. And we can naturally think, well, they're not a part of it. So therefore, they're not worth my time. Therefore, they're not as good as me. Therefore, they don't love the Lord as much as I do. And what we have to do is we love them. Better yet, I say, we love us. We grow together. And you use wisdom and discernment that, you know what? They're not moving with me. So therefore, I, I got, there's some things that I got to do, some things I got to cut off. And that's just the way it goes. So look, it's possible to experience a revival while certain things and certain people stay the same. What happens is God is working in your life. God is doing something in your life. There is rapid growth of change and maturity that is happening when somebody repents. While the stagnation of others may stay the same God is still working God is still working just because he's not working in the person next to you or the person that's not here doesn't mean that God's not working so we steward revival by allowing him to do something in us in me I am responsible for the revival that is happening in my life and I want to be a part of what is happening around me right so salvation is free we know this revival costs something i have this flame i have to put it to something or have to put something over it for it to grow that costs something some of you aren't going to be able to do the same things that you're used to doing if you want to steward this revival if you want to steward what god is doing in your life what is it that you feel that you got to give up that you that like this is something else that revival reveals to us is I can say what God has delivered me from. If I was to go up to you and say, what has the Lord saved you from? 
You may be a little timid. You may be a little afraid. But there comes a time to where I know what God has delivered me from. I know that I'm not that angry person anymore. I know that I'm not that jealous, envious person anymore. I know that God has delivered me from sexual immorality, from impure thoughts. I know that God has delivered me from this loneliness, from this depression. This is what I know that the Lord has delivered me from. So in revival, we are able to spot it, to, to just almost to proclaim it. I am not ashamed of it. And this right here is our testimony on how we allow others in. This is what the Lord delivered me from. How, 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 how can we experience God's goodness if I said, hey, Jordan, what did God deliver you from? Uh, I don't know. Like, man, let me tell you what God has delivered me from so you can experience my God with me. Revival will do that to us. Keep in mind throughout this, what has the Lord delivered you from? If you don't know, I ask you to search your heart. And, and maybe there's some things that God still has got to deliver you from. So check this out. Revival often wounds before it heals. And, and I, I'm almost not convinced that like the church in America, I'm, I'm convinced that other places aren't ready for that. Because it wounds before it heals. So I say this to the one that caught fire. To the one that says, you know what, man, I, I know what the Lord has delivered me from. I know I'm experiencing the revival that's happening in this house, in this youth group. Man, I know it. Steward it. Fight for it. Don't let anyone take it from you. You know why? Because that novelty eventually is going to wear off. It's like a snake that sheds its skin. It's just like it doesn't fit there anymore. But when the novelty wears off, you're going to be stronger. You're going you're gonna to know I'm not where I used to be. And, and I want to say this to those that just, you're just kind of here. You just find yourself as just being apart and you feel, man, I, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm experiencing the revival. I'm just here. I ask you to take heed, like pay attention to yourself, pay attention to your sin. And, and we're going to go somewhere. So I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you, God, for this time. And thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Lord, I thank you, God, for every single person in this place, especially the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that is with me. Lord, I pray, God, that you would be with us the remainder of this time. May we focus on your word. All distraction go. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. So um, I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A uh, real quick verse. Just pay attention. It says this. Now, Jesus, he says, he was raised, which was Jesus on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, which were the disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 4 through 7. Now, this here is explaining, this is Paul talking to the, the church in Corinth, and he's saying that after the third day, which we believe that Jesus rose again, that he appeared to Cephas, the 12 disciples, and then he appeared to 500 people at one time. And we know them to be believers because it says that they were brethren. Now check this out. There is another account of Jesus meeting people after he rose again. In Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 3 through 5, it says, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. 
He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now in verse 13 of that same chapter, it says this. When they arrived, remember Jesus is telling them, don't go nowhere, stay around and wait for the gift that my father promised, which was the Holy Spirit. Now it says this. In the same chapter, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the, the, the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly along with the, men and, along with the women and, the Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120 people. Understand this. Paul was writing to the church of Corinth within that span of Jesus raised, being raised from the third day. Jesus was on this earth for about 40 days. So he appeared to certain people. Paul wrote about it. He's telling the church of Corinth on the third day after his suffering, he, he, he went to 500 people at one time. Now, 40 days isn't that long. It's about a month and a week, a month and 10 days. All right. And the same way they're writing in Acts chapter one, he says, now Jesus is with the disciples and all the, the people that he named. And now this group has certain, this group somehow got smaller. Check this out. Jesus spoke to 500 people at once. Along the line in the process, now it tells us that only 120 people were with the disciples that went to the upper room that experienced the Holy Spirit. 500 people that Jesus went to, 120 people that actually experienced the move of the Holy Spirit. Catch this. 500 people at once, brethren, believers, whom Paul says, some are still there, but some are asleep. And now you have 120 people that were actually in the room when the Holy Spirit fell. Like, quick question. Simple math tells me, where were the other 380 people? They were affected. They were believers. But something happened with this encounter with a resurrected Jesus. Like, understand this. Jesus came as a child, as a baby. He lived his life, and for three and a half years, he changed the world. Miracle after miracle after miracle. I am Jesus. I am Christ. I am the Messiah. I must die. I have to go at the hands of these people to crucify me. Then he dies, and then he, then he is raised to life, and he's with the people for, for 40 days. Like, if I'm one of the 500 people, there's no way I leave Jesus' side. Like, he gives the promise that, you know what, I'm going to die, but, but my father's going to raise me up again. If God, if God can keep that promise to raise his son Jesus, what promise won't he keep? Like, there's just absolutely no way. So if I'm there, I have to be a part. But it says that some are still there, some still remain, as Paul, Paul said, and then some fell asleep. Something happened between this encounter with the resurrected Jesus and the encounter with the Holy Spirit. This isn't just a man that did miracles. This is a resurrected Jesus. These people, the 380 people, they were impressed. They were even profoundly blessed. But how are you going to see a resurrected Jesus and go back to a normal life? Like they heard the prophecies. They seen the man. They seen the miracles. They were astounded at his teachings. They seen the crucifixion. They seen the death. Now they seen the, re the, the resurrection. 
but some were asleep. It, it, it's almost like this, like, yay, he's alive, but what's for lunch? Guys, Jesus is alive. He li- he's back. I've seen him. He's here. I know I've seen him. I was there too. Okay, but, but what's, what's for lunch? Yay, he's alive, but when are we hanging out again? Yay, he's alive, oh, but we have midweek today. Man, that's tough. Yay, he's alive, but I just, man, I, homecoming. Like, you, you, like, yay, he's alive, but do you see the difference here? The 120 met a Christ, a risen Christ, and they pressed in. They asked questions. How can I get involved? How can I serve? There was a change that, that, that the proof of their faith had started to show. Now, the 380, on the other hand, is they met a risen Christ, but they go about their business. They were impressed, but frankly, they were concerned with other things. I see a resurrected Jesus, but I got other stuff to do. Now, the 120, is they talk to a living Christ and they hear the Holy Spirit speaking back. It's an ongoing dialogue. The 380, what, they, what happens with them is they believe in the living Christ, but they still relate to him as, he, as, he, as if he was dead. Check this out. My grandma died a couple, like, a couple years ago, right? So I, I, I miss her. I think about her, but I don't communicate with her as somebody that can actually talk back to me. I can imagine what she would say. I, would, I can imagine what her opinion on certain things would be, but it's not a conversation or a dialogue. If I tried talking to her, which would be demonic, um, I would understand that I'm having a conversation with myself with no expectation of a reply. This is what some believers do in their prayers. Ian Bounds calls this prayerless praying. As we speak to a God with no faith, not expecting him to speak back. And this is what the 380 did. This is where their mindset, where their heart is. So um, what are you going to do with the, resurrect, with the resurrection of Jesus? Like, do you truly believe that he died and, and rose on the third day? He wasn't just a man. He was God in the flesh that died for our sins, put in a tomb with a big rock that nobody can move. And on three, three days later, he, he rose again and he, and he shows himself to people. He says, look, I, I'm here. 40 days is all you got. Now believe we're, we're going we're gonna to still go. We're going somewhere. For those who believe you have a choice to be the 120 or the 380. That, that's a big number difference. 500 people. 120 that experienced the move. So I want to say this. That it doesn't matter how long you walk with Jesus. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter the reason why you're here. It doesn't matter how long you've walked with Jesus. What matters is how close you walk with him. One of the 12 disciples betrayed Jesus, walked with him longer than most, most of everyone else. Doesn't matter how long, matters how close. I want to speak to some people here that maybe, maybe there's a middleman in your relationship with God. Maybe there's a middleman in your relationship to, to you even being here, that you will not come if that person doesn't come. No, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to make a point here. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, I'm literally trying to encourage you that you don't need that middleman. That this place is for you. God has a plan for you. God wants to use you. And, and that same Holy Spirit that spoke to the 120 that used the 120, it's here. It's available for you. So 
I want, I want to share, I want to move on to this next point, is one of my favorite people in the Bible was one of the disciples. He's John the Apostle. John was, was, was a part of the inner circle for Jesus. Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had an inner circle of, of, of certain people that, man, he trusted for whatever reason, right? One of these, one of these people was John. John was the one that wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote John 1, 2, and 3. He also wrote Revelation. Now, check this out. John was supposed to be martyred. They put him in this big thing of oil to kill him, but he survived. And because he survived, what they now did was they took him to an island uh, called Patmos. Now, this island is still there. It's off of the, it's a, the Mediterranean Sea, off of uh, like the coast of, of Turkey. John was on this island and he wrote this, like, like he's praying. It says that I was praying on the Lord's day and I heard the, I heard the Lord. He spoke to me and, and Jesus told John, I want you to write this down and I want you to send it to seven churches. I want you to send it to these seven churches, but not only do I want you to send a letter to each of these churches, I want you to send this, I want you to send a letter to the churches, but every other letter you send, I want them to get it too. So the church in in Sardis, they got the church of Ephesus, they got the church of Thyatira, they got the church of Philadelphia, they all got each other's letters. One church, seven letters, but there was one specifically for them. Check this out. This is John. He says this. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes were blazing like fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he had seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Check this out. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though a dead man. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Pause. I I don't understand, John. Did you not walk with this man for three and a half years? I don't understand, John. Were you not there when he was performing the miracles? Were you not there at the raising of the, of the widow's son? Were you not there when he fed all of those people with the five loaves of bread and the fish? Like, were you not there, John? I don't understand. But John, now he doesn't see a resurrected Jesus. What he now sees is a glorified Jesus, a Jesus that had gone to heaven, who sat at the right throne, at the right hand of the Father. He is now crowned with many crowns. He now holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He has all authority. He now sees a glorified Jesus. Not a resurrected Jesus, not a baby in a manger, not a man on a cross, not a, not a man that bleeds, not a man that feels pain, but a glorified Jesus. Let me remind some of you, this is the Jesus that we serve today. My goodness. That's the same Jesus that we pray to now. This is the same Jesus that we sing songs about now, that we worship. This is the same Jesus that I stand before preaching his word now. Not a baby in a manger. Not a man who can't deliver. Not a God who doesn't keep his promises. Not a Jesus that would lie. 
Not a fairy tale, feel good story. A glorified Jesus. The same Jesus that John fell down is the same Jesus that we're, we all stand in the presence of today. Is the same Jesus that you represent. He's with us now. That, that's the Jesus I stand for. In us. This is the powerful, a glorified Jesus. Not the name on a t-shirt. Not the man still on a cross. Not the person on your necklace. A glorified Jesus. We're dealing with a glorified Jesus. So yes, I get fed up when people blaspheme him. They treat him like he's a sucker. Yeah, I get a little bothered when people fall asleep during service. Maybe I get a little bothered. Because do you know who we're dealing with? We are dealing with a glorified Jesus. How do we sit down during worship? How come we can't be faithful? How do we just go through the motions? How do we not take him serious? How do we not pray? How do we not preach about this person? How do we just go to connect group? How, 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 how? Man, we're dealing with a glorified Jesus. So I don't play. I don't play and mess around when I open up my Bible. I don't play. I don't mess around when I come to church. Because I'm dealing with a glorified Jesus. He's worthy of you standing up during worship. He's worthy of you singing and lifting up your hand. He's worthy of your little offering that you hold on to. He's worthy of that. He's worthy of my serving. He's worthy of me being involved. The glorified Jesus. Am I talking to any of you? Like, do you understand? Is there something going on in your spirit that you understand that you serve not a dead Jesus, but a glorified Jesus? Not just a resurrected Jesus, but a glorified Jesus that is in the throne room at the right hand of the Father? I'm going to take those claps and you know what? I'm receiving it. I'm getting it. Not just this golf clap because you just don't, this isn't interesting to you. This glorified Jesus is worthy of you showing up on time. He's worthy, I'm saying, he's worthy of you missing homecoming. Some of you have more respect for man than you do a glorified Jesus. Some of you have more respect for your pastors, Jacob Belinda, than you do a glorified Jesus. That is an idol in your life that needs to fall. Do, do, do you not know who you worship and you get nervous? And you get afraid when the world is attacking you or making fun of you for being a Christian, for missing certain things, for being in church. Like, why do I get nervous when I have the full force of a glorified Jesus? I'm not nervous about no demonic attack. I'm, I'm not nervous when it, when it comes to some wolves in sheep's clothing. I'm not afraid. But why do, why do we walk around with our tail tucked between our legs like we're afraid? Like our head, our head is always down like we don't serve a glorified Jesus. Man, I'll, I'll, I wish I could fight the devil. Like, physically, he'd probably get me, but like, you, like, I'm not backing down from a fight. I'm not backing down when things get hard. I'm not backing down when I'm feeling persecuted or alone. Because I don't serve man, I don't need somebody next to me to feel validated. I have the power and the force of a glorified Jesus that is with me, even when I'm speaking to people that don't want to be here. I have the full power and the force of a glorified Jesus. That's who I stand for before today. I'm not, 
I'm not going to abandon him. Because he's, he's never abandoned me. So why are we nervous and afraid? Why can't we step out in faith? When the person that will catch you is a glorified Jesus. My goodness. How is he going to fail you? I know you're young. I know you, maybe there's some things that you're going through that are tough. You're going into a young man and a young woman. Understand that there are things that are going to get even tougher for you. But how is he going to fail you? How is somebody with all authority on heaven and earth going to fail you? How, I'll wait. How? Maddie, how is somebody with all authority on heaven and on earth going to fail you? Oh, she gets it. He's not. Let me tell you something. He can't. Let me tell you something. He won't. My goodness, you just fired me up. I thought I was going to have to go down the line. Look, he can't and he won't. So he's worthy of my life. He's worthy of my time. He's worthy of my service. He's worthy of my Fridays. He's worthy of, of my life, of all of it. So this is the difference going forward. There are those that served a resurrected Jesus. And there are, there are those that serve a glorified Jesus. I pray this makes sense to you. Uh, I'm almost finished. I'm going to close. It's towards the end. Luke chapter 17, verse 11 through 19. We're going to go in a different way, but it. We're going to get somewhere. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. Understand this. They stood at a distance from me to Ashley, maybe even further. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priest. And they went and they were cleansed. When you were sick, when you had leprosy, these men had leprosy, you weren't allowed to be in public. And if you were in public in certain areas, you had to yell out, unclean, I'm sick, I have leprosy, unclean. And then people would either, it was like a rule, it was like, if there were two or three gathered, that was the crowd. So you either let that man come in by you leaving or you stay and that man's not allowed to come in. This is what these people were saying. Jesus, have mercy. Have pity on us. And before they even came in full contact, Jesus says, go. Go show yourself to the priest. Go show, because it was them that will say and decide whether they were healed or not. He said, go. And go show the priest. And then it says, when they went, they were healed. The lepers immediately demonstrated their faith by following Jesus' instruction, even though they still had their disease, was to go. And it was on their way, it was in their obedience, that they found their healing. Go and show the priest. I'm not healed yet, but go and show the priest. Could it be at the moment that they turned their back to go to the priest that they were healed? Now check this out. Jesus responds to their cries for mercy by drawing them for an act of faith that results in their physical healing. But only the Samaritan turns back to praise God and literally it translates this, fell before his feet and thanks Jesus. He's no longer screaming from afar. He is now at Jesus' feet because he has been made whole. 
Jesus says, we're not 10 clean, but the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return to give God praise except this foreigner? This, is, this questioning is designed for the missing, not for the missing nine or the Samaritan, but for the consideration of Jesus' disciples and the curious onlookers. What it truly means that this fo- only this foreigner, like can you imagine Jesus saying like, well, where are the other nine? But only this foreigner comes back. Understand that Jesus was a Jew and that it's in Samaria, these, they, they looked down on them. They looked down on Samaritans. They were, they were half-bred. They weren't full Full, full bread, like they just, there was that border that they did, they didn't like it. But Jesus was showing these people, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you come from, that it says that Jesus crossed over from Samaria to Galilee, from Galilee to Samaria, and he says, where's everyone else? It's not only this foreigner to give me praise, it's he's telling them, I don't care what boundaries there are, I don't care who you are, where you come from, God wants to heal you. God wants to set you free. And so Jesus addressed the healed Samaritan. He says, get up, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. But was not the Samaritan already well, even before he came back, praising God and giving thanks to Jesus? Jesus had healed him as well as the other nine who had leprosy. But it was only the Samaritan who returned to thank Jesus for his healing. Faithfulness is, uh, faithfulness is demonstrated in two ways. The Samaritan recognized that he needed mercy from Jesus. And he returned to thank Jesus uh, and his return to thank Jesus was a form of faithfulness to the mercy that God, has, that God had on his life. And two, the Samaritan's thankfulness for his physical healing shows evidence of deeper spiritual healing, which is true salvation. So I ask you again, what has God healed you from? Because in revival brings gratitude is I always go back to the feet of Jesus because I know who I am. I know what he set me free from. But in order to experience that revival and that gratitude, we have to know what he set us free from. If I could have every head bowed, we could have Daniel play. Actually, you know what? Everybody look at me. What I love about this, about the account of the 120 people that were in the upper room and the 380 people that were not there as this, as this illustration that no matter who God shows himself to, not everyone is going to follow. Like, th- this, is what, this is something that kind of gives me encouragement because when I look at the people that I just wish they would just come along, I wish my friends were here. I wish that they were serving right next to me. I wish they had the heart of service. I wish they had the discipline to pursue righteousness and all. I, don't you guys wish that for some of your friends? I wish that. But check this out. Maybe I encourage you today. It says this. What I love about these accounts is that only 120 went into the upper room when the Holy Spirit descended upon them and now we have the church age. 120 people out of all the people that Jesus showed himself to, especially the 500 that he considered brethren. It could have been a church. It could have been a gathering. Who knows what it was, but they were believers. They weren't there. What I love about this is that when the 120 received the power of the Holy Spirit, it said about 3,000 people were added to them. You get that? Sometimes... It takes a cleansing. Sometimes it takes a sifting. 
Sometimes it takes separating the wheat from the chaff to see a greater increase in people. But because before there is what the world considers revival and hundreds of people gathering together, what it takes is a heart to be truly healed. What it takes is a separation from the world, a separation from, from, from half believers, from people that don't have the same mind, for people that don't have heaven and God's kingdom uh, in, in, their, in their hearts and in their heads. Is You know what? We separate. And so what, this is all that God needed was 120 out of the 500. 120 out of everyone that seen Jesus after he resurrected. Because it was 120 that received the only thing that truly matters is the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it says every single day the numbers were added to them. But immediately a church of 120 became a church of 3,000. I don't, I don't preach this. I don't speak these things out, but I truly, truly, I mean, I used to be in the young adults ministry. Uh, at, at the time there was fresh fire, fresh fire. I mean, people started getting older. So we said, you know what? Let's start a young adult ministry. We started a young adult ministry. And I remember, man, let's pack this place out. Let's get a, pun- a bunch of people here. And even then I just didn't believe that that was, that's what was going to happen. I just didn't. I just didn't believe that God wanted to increase our church in numbers because the quality wasn't there yet. Because we had a bunch of people that were coming, but they were more of a 380 rather than 120. Man, and I, I'm not just saying this. I got, no, I got no one to say this for. I got no one to impress. I got no one's butt to kiss. I mean this. Listen, out of this group, out of what God is doing, there will be a birth of people. Of, I mean, numbers will be added. But this is a responsibility for you. Is do I have the real Jesus to offer them? Because before we make room for more people in this in here, before we add more chairs, before we make more room in a room, we need to make room in our hearts. We don't make room in our hearts by saying, I'm able to share my pastors. I'm able to share my friends. We make room in our hearts by saying, I'm able to share Jesus. I'm able to live a life that is worthy to be called a Christian. A life worthy to say, follow me as I follow Christ. A life that says, you know what? I'm going to help my pastor build this ministry. Not because we want to say, hey, Pastor Omar, look at us. Look what we're doing. But God, will you see that numbers are added to your church daily? Because we have a kingdom at hand. We have a kingdom mindset. So listen, I understand that the culture of the church isn't, the, the culture of our church isn't to jump and to scream and to run in circles and to, and, to, and to dance and hallelujah. Like, I get that. That's not the culture of our church. That doesn't mean it won't ever get there. And honestly, I don't even care if it gets there or not. You know what the culture of our church is? Is that when you are in a room full of disciples, is I'm able to call you out. You know what the culture of our church is? Is I know that you're not living right. So you go tell the pastor or I will. I, I love, this is the culture of our church. Is, is I'm able to gracefully tell you the truth because you know that I love you. Not because I'm some legalistic minded person that wants to control people. I believe, I be, man, Pastor Omar's ministry is over 30 years old. And look at all the fruit that we see every single year in the summer. Can I tell you something? I believe this is just the beginning. Like, we, Pastor Moore's older. 
This is the oldest he's ever been. He is in the prime of his ministry. The prime of his ministry. Meaning God's hand, I mean the blessings are just ready to outpour. But it take, you, you know where it starts? It starts in the children's church. It starts with some of your brothers and your sisters. It starts with the youth. And then it flows over to the adults. And then like... You, you guys get that Paul was writing to a young teenager? Can you imagine Paul writing two-thirds of the New Testament? Who's 17 in here? Anybody 17? 16? Okay, 17. I'm, I'm going to write you a book. I, I want to encourage you and all the believers. Like, you guys get that? Like, that's a, don't, don't look down on yourself for your age. Don't look down on yourself because your parents don't come here. Don't look down on yourself because you feel you got to be somebody because your, your parents do come here. You are responsible and accountable for your own walk with God. The Word of God says that, the, that God shows no partiality. He doesn't show any favoritism. When, when, when me and him go before the Lord, he's not going to judge me differently than he judges him. How did I live my life? Like, that, that's, where, that's where you guys are. I strong, I, I mean, I, I feel that I believe this in my spirit. That reach youth is going to grow beyond your imagination. Disciples, raising disciples. That's what, that's what revival looks like. Disciples raising disciples. And those disciples inviting other people. Those people getting saved. Those people giving their hearts to the Lord. Those people prioritizing what's important and what's not. Revival may not always look like what the world says it looks like. Scratch and sniff. It's just the beginning. That's where we are. And I'm going to steward this little flame. Because if I don't know how to take care of this, I'm not going to know how to take care of the campfire. I'm not going to know how to take care of this house turning on fire. I'm not going to learn how to, the wildfires. I'm going to steward this little flame and I'm going to do it well. Watch me do it. This ministry, good Lord, I don't deserve it. I'm going to speak to a group of young men and women the same way that I'm going to speak in front of a group, maybe one day in front of a conference. Maybe one day in front of a church in Texas. Maybe one day on a Wednesday. I'm going to speak to you guys the same way that I speak because I don't stand for you. I stand for the Lord. So I'm going to steward this well. I'm going to steward his word well because I see a bunch of people that don't do it. Revival will show you what needs to be done. Inside of our hearts is, man, there's a lack, so therefore I'm going to fill the need. We don't need you to jump higher. We need you to serve more. We don't need you to be uh, 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 kissing butt more. We need you to be more humble. We don't need you telling people, oh, well, you weren't here, so therefore you can't do this. We need you to say, hey, we missed you. Come back. This is what revival looks like. It is not only up to your pastors to steward this revival. It is up to you. And it starts by saying, I don't like football anyway, so I'm going to go to church. I've never seen a game in my life, and there's some people there. Because why? Because culture tells them that's the thing to do. Just go because to go. Now, I get it. Some people don't want to miss out on high school events. I'm going to let my kid do a couple things. No, 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 no. Not in the month where we're talking about revival. Can't do it. There's no way. So inside of your heart, in nobody next to you, you say, one, I'm a part of this move of revival, and two, I want to steward this revival. 
that if it's up to me, I mean, if the revival is up to me, if the growth of my church, if the growth is my family, if the growth of a ministry is contingent on my prayers, my lifestyle, I want to steward it well. If that's you, join me at this altar. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.